The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Political commentator and investigative journalist, you're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back. We're in the second hour of this live broadcast here, TFI Fridays. Well, it's been a mega week uh, and a great segment before the break. If you managed to catch that, Dr. Martin Cohen, great author, uh, great debunker. Uh, his work is uh, legendary. He's written some amazing, amazing books, many different titles. You can go check out his work. Just go to Amazon, do a search. We dropped his article as well in the TNT chat community, which I think is absolutely brilliant and a great asset to anybody who's out debating and trying to explain what's going on or having trouble arguing with their friends family their colleagues or whatever um his his article is an extremely valuable asset uh for that so i encourage people to go look at that the seven ways israel controls the news media agenda by martin cohen that's up at 21stcenturywire.com it's being shared quite widely on social media as well so i encourage people to go look at that share it read it share it let people know about it. In fact, you know, do your own seven ways as well. Do your own research. This is, is how it's done. Now, uh, we want to get into some of the headlines as well and some analysis uh, about what's breaking right now. Uh, United States polls showing that despite the horrors uh, that we're seeing unfolding in Gaza, uh, Jewish voters are still supporting Biden. Okay, so this is a poll that's been conducted um, this week. So he's still maintaining a majority of support with uh, Jewish voters in the United States. So it doesn't seem to be hurting them too much in that demographic. However, however, the flip side of this, of course, is that the Democrats are hemorrhaging voters uh, from the Arab and Muslim communities, uh, namely that would affect the key swing state like uh, Michigan, for instance, Dearborn, Michigan, a huge community, uh, Muslim, uh, Middle Eastern, and also Arab in Dearborn. Michigan's, of course, a key swing state, one of the pivotal states, in fact, that uh, swung the 2016 election in favor of Donald Trump by a very slim margin, mind you, uh, but also in 2020, um, it was a key swing state, also very highly contested in terms of some of the uh, questionable activity in the, some of the precincts. We're talking about Detroit and others. There were accusations of election irregularities, some of them well-documented, in fact, um, but no, nothing that saw the light of day uh, in any meaningful court uh, decision or investigation yet, although there are still some pending cases, by the way, for the 2020 elections in Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Arizona, and other states. So, um, And also in Arizona in 2022 election, the midterms as well, uh, by Carrie Lake and her team. But suffice to say, uh, the Democrats looking at a potentially a tight race, no matter how you cut it, uh, whether it's Biden winning or whether it's Gavin Newsom being put in to replace him or, or Kamala Harris. Are they going to jump the shark, the Democrats, and like put Kamala up, uh, move Joe out on a sick note and then put in Kamala as uh, the new president, swear her in maybe next year, probably, I don't know, January or something like that. Be a good time to do it before Christmas even, move Biden out. He's clearly senile. It's probably going to do the Democrats a few favors to kind of draw a line under Joe Biden. He's done enough damage, you could say. But uh, will Kamala be able to be a suitable uh, presidential candidate for 2024? Well, she could assume the office. She could assume the office uh, with Joe Biden moved out 
And then they would then probably put Gavin Newsom as an appointed vice president. Of course, that still needs to get voted in the House, but it might be a simple majority. I'm not sure. I can't see how they'd hold that up too much. But if Gavin Newsom does a sort of dress rehearsal, um, I guess they could also, I don't know, there's a few different ways you could do it, but they could run Joe Biden through the primaries, just go through the motions. doesn't really matter because he's pretty much running unopposed. They managed to railroad RFK Jr. out of the Democratic primaries, which was very clever, by the way. This was a clever move by the DNC because that makes it pretty much a closed primary. I think there's one challenger. He's a congressman. His name escapes me. I think he's from uh, possibly Minnesota or something like that, Midwest state. I'm not sure. Anyway, he's running against Biden. I don't think he's going to get any traction. It's more of a protest thing. Uh, but so that's interesting. We'll see. But I think the way in for uh, Newsom is at the uh, Democrat National Convention and do a floor vote. Newsom becomes a presidential nominee. So to, that 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 would be that would work because then you could put Biden through the motions. He appears like he's winning, and you know keep him from talking too much, and just kind of keep him out of the public eye, not too much exposure. Go through the motions, so he technically on paper wins the nomination, and then like literally bows out, maybe before the final primaries or something like that. Doesn't matter. They just need to get rid of him because see head to head, Biden and is not doing well against Trump, you see. Trump is still the presumptive GOP nominee, although the people backing Ron DeSantis, like the Bush family dynasty, the uh, the deep state, the military-industrial complex, they're all backing Ron DeSantis, so they're hoping that he's going to be the guy that can knock Trump out through lawfare. It's the only reason DeSantis is there. Why else would his campaign collapse? Literally, the minute he announced it, his campaign began to collapse, Ron DeSantis. So he's he's clearly there um, as the sort of alternative to Trump. It's definitely the establishment. When you got the Bush dynasty behind you and the Florida mob, you know that's that is the sort of presumptive establishment Republican candidate. Clearly, okay. So, uh, but his campaign's been in slow collapse mode since he announced he was coming on. Did that interview with Elon Musk in like this on Twitter Spaces. And like it didn't work. Then he had a hot mic where his wife was cheering him out at the end. Plus the uh, the the flamenco heels he wears on stage to kind of give himself an extra two inch lift. It's embarrassing, you know. We've had short presidential candidates in the past. I mean, Mike Dukakis, right? Uh, if Tom Cruise ran for president, he'd be you know fairly short. Um, but I, I don't see them wearing heels. You know, Mike Dukakis didn't wear high heels. Why is Ron DeSantis wearing high heels? It's it's embarrassing for a number of reasons. One of them is if you're going to be the world leader on the world stage and you're literally meeting with other heads of state and, you know, are, are you going to show up in heels if you're a guy? That's embarrassing. So I, I can't see him pulling that off. And it shouldn't be discriminatory against people who aren't tall. And that's not to say that if you're not, you know, 5'9 or 5'10 that you're precluded from being a president of the United States. Of course, that's not true either. Okay. He does have a disadvantage in terms of height and the optics surrounding all that with Trump. If there was a debate, obviously Trump's like 6'2". Or what is, what's Trump? 6'2", 6'3", or something like that. He's fairly big. He's tall. He's heavy set. And DeSantis is, uh, I think he's about five, about five, five, 
Yeah, five five something. Just a shy taller than Zelensky. Zelensky's about five four, or something like that. He's really small. Zelensky's tiny. He like shops in the children's section at uh, at Walmart. So, but DeSantis slightly taller than Zelensky. It's not great optics. This might sound like a superficial conversation to some people, but listen, this is how it works in America. It's all about image. It's all about optics. It's who's got the best hair, who looks like they tick the boxes, who looks presidential. And, you know, if you're pitting Ron DeSantis against Gavin Newsom, Newsom's about six foot, six one, and he's got a full head of hair, although it's dripping with uh, mega firm gel. Um, he still looks the part. He's got the big gnashers, the white teeth, the hair. Uh, it's kind of like I call him the white Obama because. Obama could could actually had a sort of uh, ability to sort of talk his way in and out of just pretty much anything. He's brilliant at that. And Newsom's the same. He's a real talker. And even though he's backed in the corner, he'll sort of wiggle his way out and use physical hand motions and stuff like that. So this is going to be an interesting context, uh, contest between this 2024 election. I think if Trump gets the nomination, you're looking – I mean, I just can't see how the Antifa protesters, uh, the mobs will be activated. You're going to see nonstop riots and protests, really, from election after election day right through to inauguration. And it'll be like a national crisis. There'll be sort of national trauma centers and phone lines will have to be opened for people to deal and cope with the orange man's uh, reascendancy into power. Just imagine what that would be like uh it would be like the hillary clinton effect uh times like 10 um the trauma the national trauma or people just be so disarmed they really don't care we'll see what the voter turnout's like um and you know with uh with joe you know you don't have to you don't actually have to be alive to cast a vote this is the great thing about the biden effect uh you managed to manifest ballots and votes from the strangest places and yeah, we got people on the rolls that uh, passed away some years ago and somehow cast a vote for Biden in some states. You'll know that something's off when there's more votes cast than the amount of registered voters in that state. You'll know something's not right. I think that actually happened. I'm not sure. That might have actually happened in 2020. I wouldn't be surprised. I hope it doesn't happen in 2024. Otherwise, it might be the last election the United States ever has. Does that sound overly dramatic and hyperbolic uh, i don't think so we're reaching a very strange phase right now let's hope that that's not the case let's hope we can have open free fair and honest elections may the best man or woman win that's what i want that's what everybody else wants that's all i think any american should want so let's take a quick break here with tnt today's news talk i'm patrick Hennigs, your host we'll be right back after these messages you should hear what Chris Smith is talking about. Discipline in the classroom. And of course, as someone who was schooled in Australia in an era when corporal punishment reigned, I fully appreciate how difficult it is now for teachers to maintain discipline. It would be incredibly tough. And over the decades, as I've hosted thousands of hours of talk radio programs, I can't tell you how many teachers have told me on air how bad behaviour, misbehaviour forced them out of the job, forced them to actually leave the teaching fraternity in 
entirely. A lack of discipline is chronically disruptive to the entire class and even worse for the disruptor. And so when Victorian Liberal MLC Renee Heath spoke to us yesterday about the OECD's Disciplinary Climate Index, I didn't know they had one, I was blown away. 15-year-olds here in Australia are amongst the most disruptive and disorderly in the world. And that they rank, in fact, number 69 out of 76 school systems worldwide. Australian educators should be ashamed of that close to rock bottom status. And secondly, this could be a prime reason for Australia's pathetic international educational outcomes. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. Now we're talking. TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back to this live broadcast here. We're still in hour number two, and this is Friday. You're listening to TNT Today's News Talk. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. You're listening to The Patrick Henningsen Show, and we have a vibrant community in the TNT chat box there. Just go to tntradio.live. You'll see in the lower right-hand corner is a red bubble. That's where all the action is, folks. So if you're not logged in, you're not in the TNT chat room right now, believe me, you're missing out because those people in there, they have all the best information, the best links. That's where the banter is. This is where all the killer memes are. It all happens during our show, during these two hours here, Monday to Friday, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. UK time, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and everything else in between, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for your listenership. We really really appreciate it now we're going to be joined by our legal correspondent matthew russell lee in a few minutes and before we cut over to new york before we connect matthew on the ground there uh we've got a few there's a few other stories we want to sort of comb through here um this is interesting too you know elon musk is uh, weighing in to the debate once again and he's uh under fire uh musk is under fire after endorsing what uh, the ADL crowd call an anti-Semitic post, believe it or not. So the owner of X Twitter agreed that a user who wrote that, quote, Jews had helped hordes of minorities flood into the U.S. So the accusation is uh, from a certain uh, right-wing commentators here on X Twitter that uh, the sort of Jewish establishment has been promoting uh, open borders and uh identity politics multiculturalism and all of this other stuff and so musk agreed in a reply by just saying this is true it it unleashed a whirlwind of backlash from the uh, ADL crowd and people basically accusing him of being anti-semitic there's that thing anti-semitic there it is again so a major advertiser uh has put its cooperation with Twitter on hold as a result of his reply to a tweet, believe it or not. All eyes on Elon here. Who knows? He might have had a uh, a moment there, moment of clarity, or some say a moment of madness, depending on which side of the argument you see this. And uh, the platform owner, billionaire Elon Musk, he of Tesla and SpaceX fame as well, uh, faces now now faces, get this, now faces calls to step down over his alleged 
anti-Semitic three-word reply to a tweet. So the billionaire has received a massive backlash, and he has agreed with a, a user who said that uh, the great replacement theory, as it's called, uh, one which uh, is associated with uh, right-wing ideology, you could say, although the Democrats have basically vocalized the exact same theory. The Democrats have also pushed the great replacement theory uh, in order to justify their open borders policy, saying they're going to transform red states into blue, and this has been said by top Democrats. So this isn't really a right or left issue. This is a political issue. However, uh, he has weighed into a firestorm here. And uh, so the last time when he tweeted the ban the ADL, uh, campaign. So the Anti-Defamation League is part of the Jewish uh, lobbyist machine, and uh, he found out that they were basically behind the scenes targeting Twitter advertisers, getting them to drop from the platform uh, over false accusations that anti-Semitism was festering and increasing after Musk took over control of ex-Twitter. Okay, is that true or not? It turned out to be false. Musk proved that it was false, and then he basically retweeted a hashtag, ban the ADL. So because of that, that caught the attention of the Jewish American establishment, the Zionist establishment. So led by none other than Ben Shapiro, organized a gaggle of rabbis, nine rabbis, a former Israeli head of state, and uh, other sort of hustlers like uh, Rabbi Shmuley Botish for a, a struggle session on Twitter spaces, if you recall. This happened a couple of months ago. So fortuitous, it was before October 7th. Interesting, isn't it? So anyway, the struggle session was called by Ben Shapiro, assembled the rabbis in which uh, Elon Musk was then made to genuflect to the lobby and apologize and all the rest of it and say, promise that he was going to you know, do a re-education tour of uh, Israel or you know, go visit Auschwitz uh, or the concentration camps in Germany, whatever. The, all this stuff came up in this this uh, type of a struggle session where Elon had to prove to this uh, panel of prominent uh, Jewish or Israeli uh, figures that he was not racist, that he was not so, quote, anti-Semitic. Okay. So that that that's the background of this. So he's back in the firing line again. I think um, Elon could probably ride this out and nothing will come of it. I mean, the the targeting of the advertisers, this is a problem. Uh, but I think he could also probably sue them as well uh, because you could you could easily interpret that this reply that he had was not racist or anti-Semitic. It was merely pointing out a political reality, unfortunately. And this goes for all sorts of special interest groups that are tend to be, for whatever reason, intentionally or not, pushing certain political agendas that seem to be at odds with uh, what their sort of, you know, value or principal positions are on a political platform, like the Israeli lobby, for instance. So, um, or the broader Jewish community in America, who knows? Anyway, he probably is regretting that he made this because it's just a tar pit and to be avoided, totally avoided here. We can argue about great replacement theory for days. There's actually an interesting discussion you can have on the migrant crisis, this idea of the great replacement theory. But my version of this is very different than other people's. The, to me, the great replacement theory is about social engineering, about changing the political 
uh, demographic in a country uh, in order to advance certain policies. Okay, it's not about uh, per se. They say, well, the far right will say, oh, it's about getting rid of the uh, white race or white genocide. I think that's kind of ridiculous um, because if you look at it, nobody is doing more to reduce the white race than white people themselves who have fallen way below replacement level on the birth rate, folks. If you go look at the statistics, uh, the negative birth rate among Western white enclaves is shocking. Uh, in fact, it's not bad in the lower economic, socioeconomic tiers, um, but once you get up to middle class and above, it's ridiculously low. So, you know, if white people are upset that there's less white people, uh, then white people need to have more babies. It's as simple as that. Otherwise, there's no point. You're just blowing hot air, folks, and venting all of your frustration and anger at uh, immigrants. Now, if you don't want unrestrained immigration and you don't want open borders, that is a political issue. And you're going to have to take that up with the government who's enabling and allowing it, in this case, the Biden administration. Why are they doing it? Simple to turn Texas blue, because with that amount of electoral votes, if Texas becomes a Democrat state, th that means just the mathematics of New York, Texas, and California, uh, no Republican could win an election ever again in the United States. No president. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. So that is social and political engineering. So it's, you know, my, again, the other thing is, is this. If you have a declining birth rate in Canada and the United States and Western Europe, um, in, in terms to keep the economy vibrant, uh, the only choice that these countries have in the industry in those countries, that's not just the service industry. We're talking about the manufacturing industry and other sectors. Um, we're talking also about certain institutions. We're talking about public schools, we're talking about healthcare systems that get paid per bed occupancy, per bed or in schools get paid get reimbursed from the state per child in chair in classroom, okay? Occupancy. Funding is based on occupancy, okay? Tax revenues, licensing revenues, road tax, liquor tax, fuel tax, all of that consumption, basically. So if you are if you have a shrinking population or shrinking demographics, um, you will have a contraction of the state and ability of things the state's able to provide. Simple. So how do you solve that problem? Well, the social engineers will say, we need to move people from country A over to country B. How do we do that? So for instance, look at Africa. What was keeping unrestrained immigration into Europe, Southern Europe? What was preventing that? Uh, Libya was preventing that, actually. Uh, this would be the natural course, the path uh, for which people from sub-Saharan Africa Sudan, Eritrea, Ethiopia, uh, some of these countries in this part of the world, um, they would come up uh, through a corridor and then would meet uh, resistance in Libya. They wouldn't be able to make it. In fact, and, and then Libya also had a policy of not allowing uh, that trafficking. So a lot of people who even made it into Libya were then stuck in Libya. Okay. But when Libya was collapsed as a state because of a NATO policy to bomb Libya, to turn into a failed state, it's now in three different chunks, dysfunctional failed state with, uh, at one point recently, open-air slave markets uh, in Libya. I mean, that's how messed up and anarchic it became. But it became the sort of superhighway for immigration into Southern Europe. 
Okay, so Western European countries led by the U.S., Britain, and Canada and other NATO members decided to destroy Libya, thus opening the floodgates of immigration to Europe. Do you think that was an accident? Do you think that was a mistake? Do you think they didn't intend that to happen? That's exactly what Muammar Gaddafi, the former leader of Libya, who was assassinated on on the streets in cold blood on camera by U.S.-led uh, forces, okay, that were under U.S. control. Okay, that he warned about this. He says, if we go down, Europe goes down, and he was right. But there are people in establishment, elite positions that wanted that to happen, for all the reasons I just mentioned to you. Okay. And not only that, if you can set the people against each other, which uh, many on the uh, so-called conservatives, fake conservatives, and far-right actors like to pit, you know, the whites against the brown people, or the white people against the black people, or the Christians against the Muslims, they 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 trade off it. They thrive off this. They make their careers out of this. Okay, setting people against each other, and the state loves. To have everybody at each other's throats, so long as everybody's not looking at the state and holding them to account. They'd rather have them fighting each other. Isn't that the same old story, folks? Isn't that been the same old story forever and ever? And here we go again. Let's take a break here with TNT, today's news talk. I'm Patrick Henning, your host. We'll be back in just a few minutes with our legal correspondent from New York, Matthew Russell Lee, Inner City Press. It's all coming up. Stay right there. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Megan Rapinoe, one of the world's greatest female soccer players ever. Uh, unfortunately, she has disrespected the United States of America over the years. Started in 2016, not respecting the national anthem. She kept it going. It culminated at the World Cup this past year in New Zealand. And on Saturday, she played the last game of her career ever. Three minutes into it, she got hurt and had to leave the game for good. And afterward, she used that injury to somehow claim there is no God. Yeah, I thought about it a little bit. I mean, you know, I'm not a religious person or anything. And if there was a God, like, this is proof that there isn't. It's fucked up. Um, so, yeah, it just, it's just fucked up because it's six minutes in. It's so bad. She's so important that her injury proves that there's no God. I despise this soccer player. I'm glad she's gone. Perhaps Pierce Morgan put it best when he said, Good riddance, Megan Rapino, you smug, pink-haired prima donna. I'm Steve Malsberg. Listen to my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio. Last week, Brandon met a girl on a dating app. One day after work, he finally found the courage to ask her out. No answer. He started to panic. Was he being too pushy? Maybe it was too... Hey, sorry I didn't respond. I was driving. I would love to go on a date. How does tonight sound? Brandon tried to play it cool, but inside he knew. A girl so smart, so responsible. She must be a keeper. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, here we go, folks. Final segment of the final hour of this live broadcast here on Friday. What a mega week it's been. What a mega week it's been. Uh, and a lot of people have been hanging with us Monday to Friday. We appreciate your listenership. I see everybody in the TNT chat community. We had over 120 people in there earlier during this broadcast. That was the high water mark. Great to see all you guys in there. 
listen, we're going to switch gears now over to the United States of America and more closely into the Big Apple. We're going to burrow into the Big Apple, into the core of the Big Apple at the Southern District of New York Federal Courts and join our legal correspondent from Inner City Press, uh, a man who's been getting quite a bit of mainstream media coverage of late, Matthew Russell Lee. You must be doing something right, Matt, because uh, it seems well, like all the big boys are like looking at you for like news tips now. What's going on? I don't know. I think there's just a lot of cases here in the Southern District. It, it comes, it comes and goes. I just keep doing the same thing. What I'm, what I'm planning to, I'm actually going to. There was a Julian Assange case here yesterday, so I, I, I think this might be Daniel Alley. But I'll begin oh, yeah. on the Trump front. There's also an okay. Israeli spy that br- that brought up Gaza and hacking of uh of of uh, anti Exxon climate scientists, if I can say that right. But we'll begin on the the Trump. There's been a lot of Trump action this week. The the the, the state case has actually become quite boring. I'll say I go over there periodically. It's a bunch of accountants saying how great the Trump organization is. It's their defense case and it's their right to put it on. The judge seems predisposed how he's going to rule, but that's where this comes in. The big news this week was Team Trump finally put forward their motion for a mistrial, saying that the judge is politically biased. That is, principal law deputy is a uh, is a democratic hack. I, I, that's that's what Trump said. The legal papers dress it up a bit, but they do track their political contributions. And you know, the 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 Letitia James people have so far said this is a ridiculous motion. We can't concentrate on it now because we just have to be focused every day on the trial. And the reality is these days in the trial, they're pretty much sitting there just objecting to to this pro uh, Trump organization slideshows of Mar-a-Lago and stuff like that. But they want until December 8th. But it I have it would seem that the judge is probably going to deny it, but then they're going to appeal that. So this case, it's reached the point people thought that it would, uh, basically just a straight up question of can a judge who sort of what they've done in in their motion for a mistrial is track bragging that he's done on his 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 school newsletter he's bragged every time there's an article about how great he's doing bringing down the trump organization he posts it so they're trying to say that this shows a kind of an unjudicial ter- uh, uh um temperament and they got lucky too they had a win this week in which the state appeals court the appellate division um put a stay on the gag order they were they were barred from talking about the legal the uh the um principal law deputy and now they're not. So get ready for some real trash talking. That's on the orange man front. Things are lo- looking better for him this week, at least in terms of the drama than it did last week. I see you looking a little quizzical. It's, it's good to see you in this way. Now I can sort of get a sense of, of how it's how, how these blows are landing. What do you so <laughs> that's all that's that's Trump. That's how he rolls, you know. I'm actually I'm fact checking everything that you're saying, Matthew, while you're saying it in real Please. time. So I think I'm that's always, what happens I, when, the, when the big boys cite you. Everybody's gunning for you. Come in. Come. You want a piece of this? <laughs> this fire step, you know, but I, I'll tell you what's more interesting than that. I feel that the uh, the Julian Assange thing is so strange because I'm getting emails and, and messages from all over the world. And yet other media doesn't cover this thing. This is a case that goes back to about a year ago, maybe more than a year ago, they filed it here in the United States. It's people that visited Julian Assange at the Ecuadorian embassy in London. And they found that when they visited him, that they were being surveilled in the meeting room. And also that their phones were, were it wasn't, they were downloaded apparently, they were photographed. The phones were opened and the SIM card or, or there was, was photographed so they could somehow track them. Also their passports were photographed. So the government, they sued CIA, Mike Pompeo, 
something called UC Global uh, yeah. and a guy uh, uh, and, a, and the UC Global's owner. And they said that you violated the Fourth Amendment. What came out yesterday in this lengthy uh, oral argument that I attended and, and live tweeted was that the government says the Fourth Amendment, the, the U.S. government, the Fourth Amendment prohibition against this type of surveillance and search and seizure without a warrant doesn't apply overseas mm-hmm. outside of the United States. Um, it doesn't apply even to U.S. citizens. Um, the judge actually seemed kind of that's where this thing stalled. They're trying to move to dismiss it. They're saying that they have no case. The gov- the CIA lawyer, which is a, a U.S. attorney, a assistant U.S. attorney, said this: they have no case. Drop the case. And the judge has kept the case alive at least for a week. There's a letter due in a week modifying the complaint to to talk about how exactly the phones were. And I, I feel that the case is going to go forward. Where the case is going, I don't know. Um, people seem to feel, the, the, the Assange supporters who contact me seem to feel that this this case is going to, you know, free or uh, Julian Assange. I, I know that's not what the case is about, but it is related to that in, in the sense that if it was, I'm not sure. I think there's there's some misunderstanding about what the case is about, but it's still a very, it's an important case. And it's one that strangely is not really getting any coverage. The, the big boys have not followed me on this. The big boys think this is a sideshow, but I think it's an important civil liberties case, whatever, whatever you know, whatever one thinks. What do you think? Technically, technically, Matthew, I think, yeah, you could say it's happening overseas. So CIA can and its subcontractors like UC Global can do whatever they want. Um, but in terms of the actual Julian Assange legal case, I think it has more bearing on that because, uh, you know, the United States government uh, or the CIA or contractors thereof uh, intercepting his, uh, you know, confidential uh, legal defense uh, information, conversations, documents, and things like that. Um, that mm-hmm. shows that there's a political, there's a political shape to uh, his his persecution, i.e., his extradition. So that precludes extradition because of the treaty law between the UK and the US. Can't be a political extradition. So that precludes extradition, basically. So that that to me is why that case is important. But you're right, Matthew. You know, just straight up U.S. law and the people who are filing the case. It's uh, I don't I don't know if there's much there for them, but I think it's great to get this information out in discovery and get it into the public domain. I think that's really important. Definitely. And I think I mean, I, I guess the remedy that they're asking for this was one of the and I'm going to get to a UK, a different UK extradition. It just came to mind as he said that. But one of the issues came up is the 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 the, the government's lawyer began by saying. This is no longer really a live case. Yes, they were surveilled this 2016, 17. Nothing's been done with the information. It's not an ongoing program. So the case is moot. Um, And the judge himself said, wait a second, don't they have a right to get their information back? They have no idea when it could be released, what it could be used for. So I think that there is a there's not a standing problem. And there is an interesting thing of like what was actually taken, because, I mean, the funny thing is they're not really contesting because they've structured it legally so that it's about the rights of the visitors, not the rights of Assange, the rights of the visitors, American citizens, journalists, Pamela Anderson's name came up, shout out, Pamela Anderson, she was surveilled. So were some journalists uh, that met with them. So that sort of violates the idea of like journalists and their sources, lawyers and their potential client. So I think you're, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I was surprised by a UK uh, extradition decision this week, and I don't have the, the name of the the appeals judge in the UK, not to target them, but just to get there. This happened recently. There's a there's a crypto case 
we may have talked about it some some months ago. One coin. This is not Sam Bankman Fried. This was an outright fraudulent scheme, but it was pretty global in nature. Some of your 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 viewers may have may have heard of it. One coin was promised to be the Bitcoin killer. There was a woman. PhD Ruja Ignatova from Bulgaria, who said that she was had the greatest the greatest coin and and people bought it, but it was basically like a pyramid scheme. There there actually was no blockchain. There was no. It's not an actual cryptocurrency. It's just a scam. And so many people bought it. And her brother, called Konstantin Ignatov, flew around to Uganda and sold it. Like this is the future. People made like riveting songs about it. Ultimately. Uh, she was indicted and she disappeared. This is it, there's a famous BBC podcast about this called The Missing Crypto Queen. And I've been covering the U. The case is in the U.S., but there was a guy. I'll come full circle to the U.K. One of the there's two guys in Europe. One guy's on the lamb. His name is Frank Schneider. He he was supposed to be extradited to the U.S. and he he took off because he was out on bail and he's gone. He's in the wind. Christopher Hamilton stood in fight. He was ordered to be to be extradited by the the I guess the trial level U.K. court. He appealed, and this week he won. The, the appeals court, uh, uh, the high court, you, you would know better than me, he, they, they ruled that they, he's not going to be extradited, that most of his crimes, to the degree they exist, took place in the UK, and, and therefore the Crown Police Service should be the ones investigating it. So I don't think they are, because they already closed the investigation into him. So Christopher Hamilton lives again. My angle on it is I'm covering every piece of one point here, including the sealing of all of the sentencing letters of a guy called Sebastian Greenwood, who is the number two. Um, if, you, if there are any lawyers listening to this, I've filed a notice of appeal, but I would love some help to pursue these documents because I think also that the government, even DOJ, like they make a lot of noise about these cases, but then they're perfectly willing to have a lot of information in the cases remain sealed. And that's where the press and, and this whole you, I, and the listeners come in. We need to fight to do it. So if you've got a lawyer hanging around with lawyers with time on his hand, come on down. The fire, the the fire stairs are are are, are wide, and the the path is <laughs> many are few. Know, the path is the path is wide, and I think we're on the right side on that one. But so there's a UK, you you little back, you know, rebounding back across the across the pond. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I think um, I'm hoping anyway. Well, that there's going to be some movement on the Assange case. Just going back to that point, uh, sure, that please. If the if the extradition is successful, um, you know, that's straight down to the uh, National Security Court there in Western Virginia. I think, hundred uh, percent mm -hmm. conviction rate, as you know. Can imagine what the jury is comprised of people working for all the three letter agencies um but it's it, the idea on the assange side is to prevent that from happening um i don't think the uh there i don't think there's a legal case for extradition at all um you know that that case was made really well by his uh his qc's uh fitzgerald and summer but it's just being completely disregarded and ignored by the british um, but I think that's an important case. If it makes it to America, I think he'll be uh, acquitted. But mm -hmm. how long would it take? It'd take years, and he's probably not doing well health-wise. And you know, he could, you know, could die in custody. And uh, you know, that's what people do not do not want to see. Um, he's not a uh, criminal. He's not a killer. Mm -hmm. He hasn't arguably not done anything. In fact, he's unconvicted. He's been in arbitrary detention. Um, 
considering all all forms of detention, including the Ecuadorian embassy, that's seen as arbitrary detention, according to the UN Rapporteur on, uh, on torture. Uh, so Nils Melzer ruled that. And the UN would certainly know about torture, Patrick. But let me, let me but I digress. <laughs> let me actually, since we're on to surveillance, I do want to. I'm going to give you the the fruit salad of SDNY cases. There was. There's a case here that that, that in this week was surprising to me. It's called U.S. versus Girgis, G-I-R-G-I-S. He's accused of being a spy for the CC government here in the United States. And he was charged and it was interesting. And I've been sort of it's been about two years. He's out on bail. So there's no there's no rush. But he got <clears throat> he has public defenders, the, the federal defenders. And these guys have lawyered the hell out of the case. And this could be this is, I'm going to highlight this. This is a kind of a. Uh, a harbinger of a case this week in an oral argument the judge said yes it's true that until now fisa materials have never been made public because they they're, they're the whole idea is that this is a secret court in dc and that there's a it, but they the federal defenders are saying they have a right as a matter of 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 the due process rights of their client to this information and they're making it specifically based on a, a dubious affidavit signed to begin the searching and the judge seems open to this. The judge has asked for additional briefing on it and is going to decide whether in this. Now, I don't think that that information would be released to the public, but it would, at least it would be released to the defense, which is generally not done. So it's a kind of a this is the funny thing about the law here is that it really if you get the right judge and the right facts and the right lawyers, something that seemed like a stone wall suddenly appears to have holes in it. And again, I want to say there was no one else at that hearing. That's that's why I like the SDA to the degree. I want to say it's not that the, the mainstream media likes any of this analysis or inner city press. It's just that for some reason, despite their, their many resources and many people, they're not going to the cases. You got to like go to the case. And so I was over there and I have to say that was a, that was a uh, I'm really glad that I did. I, I kicked myself. You do the best you can. Basically, it's arbitrage here. I look in any particular half hour segment. There's three things I could go to. I try to choose like, you know, what's going to be. But I also don't want to I don't want to gentrify my coverage, Patrick. I don't want to only go with white collar or surveillance. Just now I'm back from a at the 12 o'clock hour, a guilty plea of a man named Kasim. He was in the SDNY magistrates court. He had on headphones with an Arabic interpreter. His parents were in the gallery of the courtroom and there was nobody else in the gallery except me. Now the case involved marijuana. So initially I was going to say, even for me, this is a bit small because marijuana is now legal in New York. So why is Mr. Kasim pleading guilty? And he's in detention. He's in the MDC pleading guilty to one count, federal count of possession of marijuana with a one-year sentence. Probably he's going to get halfway house for six months but here's what it is this is how the law works and just for what it's worth no no case too small on march 14th 2023 mr Kasim went into a smoke shop a legal or maybe off the books but it's now legal in new york and he bought marijuana he sought to return the marijuana and the guy behind the counter said no dice no returns here he left he got into an altercation he may have been arrested that day three days later he came back and poured gasoline in the smoke shop and lit it ablaze so he's been arrested. He's been in detention ever since for arson, which is a federal crime. But their plea bargain is they've dropped the arson. He's only pleading guilty to the single federal count of possession of marijuana, which is a total joke because it's legal in New York. So from the in a way, you would look at it from the outside. You'd say, oh, my God, the Justice Department is vicious. They're prosecuting 
people for personal quantities of pot when it's legal in the state, but actually it's just a loophole. Basically, they're trying to give him a break because he could get 47 months for the arson, and now he's going to get six months in a halfway house under the, the legal fiction that instead of arson, what he, what he his crime is possession of marijuana. Do you see what I mean? Are they, are they retro? Is that a retroactive charge? Like, is it because he possessed it when it was illegal? And no, it was legal it, at the time. It's that it's still illegal. It's still illegal federally. You ah, can still be federally. charged for violating. That's, yeah, that's federal the, that's versus it's, state. Yes. Yes. It's a total. It's. I don't know if any other country. I'm sure some countries have it. Maybe you know some. The U.S. has well, this we, right now. That's a total limbo where pot is. This is why pot companies that are legal in New York State or in California can't bank. Because the banks are federally regulated, and although it's not technically illegal for them to do business with a company that's legal in the state, since there's a federal prohibition on marijuana, they don't want to take the chance. And so you have a lot of cash business, and there's a lot of smoke shop robberies going on here because they're having to deal business in cash because they can't get credit card and merchant accounts, and et cetera. So mm -hmm. this is a little bit beyond the scope of what we usually talk about. But, you know, it's again, it's one of these things where you say like, whoa, Mr. Kasim, it's a, you know, SDNY prosecution. And then you find that it's only about pot. It's actually about arson. And, you know, he tried to get out on 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 bail and they decided, no, he's going to stay in and he's going to be he's going to be sentenced in early December. And hopefully I'll, I'll have a on this burning case, Patrick, I'm going to have a, an update for you as Mr. Kasim is out in the halfway house. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember federal, I think it was federal agencies were, you know, raiding marijuana dispensaries in states where it was made illegal. So it's like they're open to business and they could get raided by the feds at any moment, even though they're yeah, perfectly it's, it's legal. It's a total chaos. Totally. Yeah. It, it's, it really is a weird, and there's a lot of, you know, they're, they're, it really, the banking industry is actually lobbying to have it clarified because they, they see this as like, a, it's a pool of money out there they can get. Most people are leaving the banks and going into crypto, Patrick, even despite as many problems. And so the banks need these, they need these smoke shops. Now I need to here this is a, this was a story I thought of you actually. It was a, because it brought together two themes, two, two kind of streams of activism. Um, there's a guy called Aviram Azari. He's an Israeli former intelligence, now private guy, that he's been locked up for hacking for about four years now in jail. And he's, he's had a lot of problems in jail. In fact, he was sentenced this week and he was slumped over and he, he, he's now burping every four seconds. It was quite, I, I'm not meaning to make light of it, but it, for a while, the people in the audience didn't understand where the sound was coming from because we're all, it was a packed house. I thought foolishly that these were supporters of Avirama uh, Azari in the packed house. No, these were the victims. These were anti because you, this is, this is, you're going to love this one. He was, he, he pled guilty to hacking specifically of climate scientists, um, perhaps on behalf of Yukos, but it's pretty much being blamed on ExxonMobil because most of them were working against ExxonMobil. And they spoke at the sentencing and they said, this is a particularly heinous crime. We've it's it's undermined our client, our our, our climate activism. It's 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 increased global warming. Burp, 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 burp. But the interesting part is that as part of his attempt to get a lower sentence, he had his lawyer in Israel call in by phone and say, I can't leave the country because of the, the war we've been. His letter is pretty extreme. I mean, not extreme. The letter said our country was was invaded on October 7th. 
It's it's a it's a new genocide. It's a Holocaust. It was so you had these two. This is why. I, and and Aviram himself said, I can't visit my family there. It's you have no idea. This is giving me trauma. He was in the Israeli army. The judge ended up saying, I give you credit for your Israeli army service, but without respect to what's going on today. So he sort of had it both ways. But if you if you were to just take the quote, you'd say, whoa, this guy, wait, a guy in the Israeli army is getting like special kid gloves treatment for hacking climate scientists. But this is why I th- now this one. I really I'm going to I'm going to get into the, the host chair here because. In a way, I think normally many people, I was going to say most people, I can imagine a, a person who is on this, who is on the same side of this, that thinks the Israeli army is terrible and thinks science, climate scientists are great. Do you see what I mean? So this is like a wet dream of a case, right? It's like a bad guy, you know, a, 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 an invader and a settler attacking climate science. But I know what I know of you, Patrick, is that you might find not that hacking of climate science is good. But I will say, even to me, the climate, the climate, climate science victims were were too precious by half. They were like one guy was with the Rockefeller Family Fund, and he was like, "I'm we fund this science, and I, I can't believe that I was spearfished by Avram Azari." I mean, again, I'm not for spearfishing, but they presented, they used the sentencing to give these lengthy speeches about how great their work is, which is not really the point of the sentencing. So over to you. Where do you stand on the eighty-year, eighty-month sentence of Aviram Azari? Well, I, I think uh, the 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 you know the hacking is uh, that so Israelis uh, ha- hacking for hire basically. So anybody yeah, can go to them. on behalf of the Israeli government. This was or, it's, or, it's rumored that it was a Yukos, but for what it's okay. worth. So, so yeah, but th- there are sort of operatives that are mercenaries, and they'll do anything. You know, even Cambridge Analytica is subcontracting some of these shady firms. Uh, the Israeli government might subcontract them as well. Other governments might subcontract them. This is like a whole thing. I think this was exposed. Uh, Jorge Operation Jorge. I think that was that what it was. Um, a little bit was exposed months ago. I uh, did a little bit of work and coverage on it at the time. But so I don't agree with these climate scientists. I think they're. Um, uh, per se, they might think they're doing the right thing for the global warming, whatever. But the whole climate change gravy train to me is completely fraudulent on the science front. But that said, they still have rights. Um, so, yeah, so I, I don't agree with that. So that's my position. Uh, I don't agree with the scientists, okay, but I, very, I, I, I agree with the rights. I thought that, that was yeah. a very you really thread that needle pretty well. It was a very like Absolutely. GOP debate like answer. Well done. No, there. No, a, I'm a, I could I could just as easily be a, a centrist Democrat, but they left me. They left. They swung yeah, it, so far. It was, it was there, there were there, there's one thing I so that that's not a dead story. His burping, by the way, this is just a, de, a courtroom detail. It became louder and even and even more frequent as it got closer to the sentencing. I thought he might actually like 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 blur out what the sentence was but the 80 months and he's already served 48 so he's going to do 32 months more but as after the sentence was 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 announced and declared the judge said do you mr mr azari do you have anything to say which most judges don't they mostly because they realize like most people are going to say you know i've got something to say and it begins with an f but (laughs) instead azari said I want to apologize to the victims but you don't know the full story one day you will that day will come and with that burping as he was he was dragged back into the holding cell for 32 more more months when he gets out 
I'm waiting for his 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 expose because he he never disclosed who funded him. You see what I mean? I think the purpose of the victims were to say, and and that that's the thing that the, the in the same deft way that the prosecutors handled Mr. Kasim with his arson turned into a marijuana charge, they could have said, "Time served, baby. Go and burp back in Israel." If you tell us who funded you, I don't know if they made the offer and he refused Soros. to. Maybe he's afraid of who funded him, but they George didn't. Soros, they never maybe. got out of him, right? This is a guy who's ex. He he actually has a story to tell. Who paid him? And he's refused to tell it. So either he's a, you know, balls to the wall, you know, Omerta guy, or he's scared, burpless. I don't know. Let's return yeah. to Hunter Biden because all roads must lead to Hunter Biden. On, okay, at least okay. on this show, but yeah, go ready? for it, go for it, yeah. Hunter Biden is is he's not taking this lying down. Okay, the, his guilty plea fell apart. He's presumably being at least faux chased uh, on on. Maybe it's going to go beyond the gun. Maybe maybe we're going to get into those Chinese diamonds. But in order to defend himself, he's asking to subpoena. He wants in his in his criminal case. He wants information from both Donald J. Trump and former attorney general Barr, and i don't know what's going to happen that's now pending in 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 his delaware criminal case uh it's it's a bold move and i'm i'm sure trump being trump is going to find a way to definitely turn it into all about him you know i don't even know if he's going to oppose the subpoena whatever i i talk to a lot of like legal analysts and other legal reporters and they're always like ah, trump's strategy looks crazy why is he why is he insulting the judge in this case why doesn't he understand that you're supposed to like and it's like He's playing a different game. It's I, I don't know if it works legally. I guess we'll over the next year we'll find out if he loses all the criminal and the civil cases, which is quite possible, and loses appeals because he's got those too. But he's he manages to turn these things. He manages to get more airtime. I mean, I don't know. Right now, since we last spoke, Nikki Haley is the toad. She is rocketing. I have seen hedge funders. Everybody loves Nikki. Nikki's is is rising to the top. It's her and DeSantis, and even DeSantis can't keep up. Vivek has fallen to the roadside. It's more like a race to the bottom from where I'm looking at. Uh, I'm sure, I, I hear you. I hear you. Both but, of them have uh, trashed the United Nations, by the way. But that, but there's the the, the Hunter Biden cases. That this is it, it. It has the potential once again to to flare up, to flame up with the subpoena of Trump, a deposition of Trump about Hunter Hunter Biden. I think you could go pay per view with that, and that would. There are many people that would go absolutely uh, bananas for, for that. Uh, w. You know, maybe they can hit each other over the head with chairs and put on, you know, put on the, those uh, uh, um, yellow wrestling suits because it's they're ready to roll. Just as long as as long as Hunter leaves his gun at home, everything should go 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 fine. Well, it looks like he's trying to, you know, bring so, so, show some conspiring between uh, A.G. Barr at the time and Trump. To, that was a political, it's a it's a political investigation, i.e., a political prosecution. That looks it's a like witch the direction. Hunt, Patrick. Let's call it what yeah. it is. It's a witch hunt against Hunter Biden. There's witch hunts witch- everywhere. Everyone's hunting, and Hall- Halloween's over, and yet everywhere you turn, nothing but a witch hunt. Now. There's a there's a media angle here. There's at least let's since we're both in the oh, media. Just quick, so quick, speak. quick, quick. We've got 30 seconds left. Go ahead. OK, very, very fast. Trump wants his D.C. trial televised. The law doesn't really allow it. But DOJ also says no, that it would be a circus. I say we have to come down on the side of it's time to it's time to televise federal cases. Then I won't have to work so hard because everyone can see it. You know, 
That's a good idea, Matthew, but it's going to put a lot of uh, uh, illustrators uh, who work with colored pencils uh, out of work. AI, baby. It's it's all we all have to deal with it. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you got to feed them. They got to eat, too, Matthew. Matthew Russell. The bots have to eat. That's what I learn every day. AI has to eat as well. Inner City Press, Matthew Russell Lee. Thank you for joining us on TNT this week. Okay, definitely. Listen, great, you guys. Great to have you with us. Dr. Martin Cohen, author in the first hour. What an amazing segment. It's been an amazing week, but there's a whole lot more to do. we got work ahead of us, folks. We'll see you on Monday, so stay tuned, TNT. We've got a few uh, surprises, a few little snafus next week, so keep your ears to the ground. I'm Patrick Hennessy, your host. This has been great. All the best, and stay on the network. we got the Jesse Zerowell Show next up on TNT. And signing out. All the best.